how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow, in the gutter of drugs and alcohol and bondage, Jesus came to me and brought the victory. Does anybody have the victory this morning? Aren't you glad to be a part of the family of God, proud of the family of God? Dean and Debbie, always a joy, always a joy. I was, uh, next words out of my mouth. You had your chance. Many of you may or may not know, but Dean and Debbie and Pastor Rhonda and I are grandparents together, and I am pleased to tell you in the two years of, of a year of marriage, we've never had any disagreements over who gets the kids because nobody wants them. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Diane, always a joy. Oh, we lost her. Let her know. Let her know. We love it. Always a joy when our, when our family and friends can come and be with us. Uh, this Saturday, a, a special opportunity. We're going to have corporate prayer from 10 to 12. We're going to pray for our neighborhood, our city, and our government. Uh, I believe that prayer changes things. I believe we can touch the heart of God concerning the election. I believe that with all my heart, and I believe that God wants to bless our city, and I believe that God wants to bless our neighborhood. And so we're going to start at 10. You don't have to stay the entire two hours. You don't have to come. At 10, but in that window, 10 to, 10 to 12, I'd like to come and spend a few minutes in prayer. We're praying over the prayer cards. If you have a special uh, a prayer request, please put it on the card. And I wanted to add to this, if, uh, if you need a personal phone call from myself or Pastor Rhonda, that, let us know that. I have no problem at all making uh, a phone call to check on you and pray with you. We'll make you aware of that. So this Saturday, everything, all the prayer requests, we'll be praying for those and taking them before the Lord. Uh, James says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth, accomplishes much, availeth much. So we will be in prayer. I want to make you aware of that. And I also believe men's breakfast, is that this Saturday? Can we move it to 9 just in case the guys want to stay, come at 10? And, oh, it's next, it's next week. Oh, ne- so forget men's breakfast. So we're going we're gonna to show up to pray. And give up the breakfast. There's no way we can do both. Okay. So no men's breakfast. Uh, show up and, and pray. Uh, at 9 o'clock, men's breakfast. Um, if you've never been to a men's breakfast, it is unique. Uh, it is uh, a time of fellowship. It's not a Bible study. It's not a church service. It's, not a, it's just a time when guys get together and eat bacon. And I'm so pleased with what Dunkin' Donuts has just accomplished. How many knows the bacon? Yes, how cool is that? You can go to Dunkin' Donuts and order bacon. Why don't you stop talking about food because I'm going to get hungry. I came hungry this morning. I have in 30-some-odd um, years have always come to church hungry on Sunday morning physically to remind me of the, phys- the spiritual hunger that I have for God. But I will tell you that immediately after the service, we will go and pick up Rhonda's dad. We'll head to Carabas, and there we get the scallops with the grilled asparagus the salad with extra ranch dressing, and the bread is incredible. You dip it in the oil and the black pe- pepper, and you dip the, the bread there. And so I'm in a hurry to uh, get us out of here this morning so I can get to my, 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 my agenda, my priorities. If you brought a Bible with you, if you'll turn with me to Judges, the first chapter, Judges is directly after Joshua, right before Ruth. Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass, the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites, first to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. And Judah said unto Simeon, his brother, come up with me into my lot, that we might fight against the Canaanites, and I likewise will go with thee into thy lot. So Simeon went with him, and Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. And they slew of them in Bezek 10,000 men. 
and they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek, and they fought against him, and they slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued after him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his great toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Three score and seven and ten kings, seventy kings, having the thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table. As I have done, so hath God requited me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. One of the most unique, interesting, incredible stories in the Old Testament. So much symbolism and so many hidden truths and so many thoughts that we can expound on. I just want to look at the first sentence. It says, after the death of Joshua, that is Yeshia, that is Jesus, that's a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. And after the death of Jesus, we know there was a resurrection and a commission to go to all the world and preach the gospel to take back what the enemy has stolen. And so the people of God are inquiring of the Lord, and we, they did that through the uh, Urim and the Thummim. Many of you know that the high priest wore a breastplate. It had 12 stones, and it had two stones at the top. And the men of God would question God direction, and God would light the stone of whatever he wanted to do light up. There was a red stone and a green stone, and if they were to go forward, the green light, the green stone would light up. If they were, to, if they were supposed to stay, the red stone lit up, and that's where we get our red light, green light. How crazy is that? But the 12 stones represent the 12 tribes of Israel, and when they asked the Lord, who shall go against the Canaanites, the Perizzites first, and God said, let Judah and the Judah stone lit up. Of course, the word means praise. And God said, I have delivered the land into Judah's hand. Praise will bring victory. Praise will bring deliverance. Praise will bring uh, uh, accomplishment in the kingdom. Judah went to his brother Simeon, which means hearer of the word, and said, I want to go into covenant with you. You go with me, I'll go with you. So you have a praiser and a hearer of the word in, in covenant. And they decided to come against the things of the enemy. And the Bible says they went into Bezek, which means land. Adonai Bezek means Lord of the land. So we find that they're actually in spiritual warfare against Satan, which is the prince and the power of the air. So, Adon so Judah and Simeon go, and they chase the enemy, and they kill 10,000. The Bible says one shall turn 1,000, two shall turn 10,000. And they, they chased Adonai Bezek, and they caught him. And when they caught him, they cut off his thumbs, and they cut off his big toes. And he said, my, my, I've, I've captured 70 kingdoms, 70 kings. I've cut their thumbs and their toes off. What I have done is now required of me. I don't believe in karma, but I believe, I believe what goes around comes around. And the Bible says they took him to Jerusalem, and there he died. I don't know if he died of suicide, bled to death, old age. I don't know what killed him, but I did realize that what he measured to others, he could not handle himself. So they cut off his thumbs, and they cut off his toes, and I was reflecting this morning from Psalm 139, 14 that says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I got to thinking about the toes. I got to thinking about the thumbs, and I've learned that when you lose your thumb, you lose your grip. One of the scariest most horrific days in my life. I was 17, a junior in high school, came home to find that my dad was putting paneling in one of the Sunday school classrooms, and he had a skill saw, and as he was pushing the skill saw, the, the paneling came up, and he put his thumb to push the paneling down, and the saw kinked and came back and cut off his thumb, and it was attached just to a little bit of skin, so 17 years old, I got my dad and my 53 Chrysler that had headers and a hemi, and I blew down the road about 100 miles an hour, getting him to the emergency room, uh, looking over and seeing that thumb in, his, in the saw and all of that. And that's some things you don't forget. They, they sewed the thumb back on the body. It tried to regroup, and it actually grew back a little bit, Gene. And then they amputated 
the top of his thumb. Oh, and so that was when I was 17. So every time I take my dad hunting or fishing or we do anything together, he's always handicapped because he lost his thumb. He learned how to regroup and readdress it, but he lost his thumb. When you lose your thumb, you lose your grip. So he, Adonai Bezik cut their thumbs off so they couldn't take a sword and fight against him. There's something about the power of praise and the power of worship that gives us a grip in the kingdom and allows us to take that weapon of worship, that weapon of praise, and defeat the enemy. When you cut off your big toes, you lose your balance, and when you lose your balance, you lose your ability to dance. You lose your ability to march. You, you lose the ability of a, a large portion of your body because you don't have that balance. I believe in the last several years, the enemy has tried to remove the big toe of the church that we've lost our ability to rejoice in the things of God. We've lost our ability to march in unison as an army going where God wants us to go. Adonai represents Satan, and the Bible says if you resist the enemy, he will flee from you. And may I tell you, a praiser, and not just a hearer of the word, but a praiser and the doer of the word is going to find incredible things in the kingdom of God that he can't accomplish. I had fun last week, and I was thinking about the body, and what was so humorous is that there's a song that came on the radio, and I haven't heard the song in years, maybe 40 years, and, and, and it was one of those catchy tunes that you never forget, and uh, many of you may have heard the song It says, the ankle bone's connected to the calf bone. Calf bone's connected to the knee bone. The knee bone's connected to the hip bone. Now hear the word of, Lord, help me. Them bones, them bones are going to walk around. Them bones. Them. So you, you get my drift there about the body that God has invented and created and given to us. We are truly, fearfully, and wonderfully made. And I got to thinking about, Obviously, the toes, if you have no toes, you have no balance. If you have no ankles, you can't run. If you have no knees, you cannot bow. If you have no hip, you cannot sit. If you have no back, you cannot bend. It's amazing. Every part of the body works together. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 and 27 that we fit together like a puzzle. Your piece, my piece together puts the body in order and brings the body into unity and completion. And so I'm racking my brain last week, and I'm thinking, okay, there's got to be something in your body that doesn't do anything. Surely there's something that doesn't do anything. And I thought about the nose hairs. I said, well, the nose hairs does something. It filters the dust before it gets up in your sinus passages. And then I, I thought about just every, the hair keeps you from getting sunburned. You've got hair on your head, hair on your arms, hair on your leg. It's interesting that you don't have any hair on your butt. God never intended for you to sunbathe naked. That was not, that was his purpose and plan. But, but the, the hair is there for a reason. The fingernails are there for a reason. The knuckles are there for a reason. You have your ears, you have your eyes, you have your nose. I know you guys keep singing. I know what you're saying. I, I hate that for you. I wouldn't go there if I was you. But I came up with something on your body that you don't need. Would anybody like to guess what that might be? That's, you know what? It's there for a reason. We really, it's, it, it, we need it, but it can be taken out. Does that make sense? But you're right. That was, that was one of the girls' answers. My, my, my answer was the eyebrows. Your eyebrows do absolutely nothing. And then Christine and Bailey told me, your eyebrows keep the sweat from running down your forehead into your eyes, and so the eyebrows collect so, you know what, I don't know what part of the body of Christ you are. You might be a nose hair. You might be an eyebrow. You may be a gluteus maximus. You might be the biggest gluteus maximus in the church. But whatever you are, if you're not there, we lose our grip. If you're not there, we lose our balance. If you're not there, we lose our unity. We, we use that ability to do things together. And that's why it's important to know that you don't fit in, you fit together. You're not to blend, but you're to be marked and used of God to help the body do what the body is supposed to do. We know that the body is made of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. 
We know that the body, the actual physical container is the soma. The soulish man is the suke, and the spirit man is the zoe. The body, the soul, the spirit. That's how that we are, that we are, we are put together. And when God made us, he made us in those fashions. And there are many that in the, in the physical, they try to find what they're looking for by working out and doing keto and running and suntanning. And they're always trying to improve and better their body. And then there's a suke, there's a soulish man, which makes up your mind, your will, and your emotions. And a lot of people mentally, they will learn languages, they will learn trades, they will, they will seek after knowledge, and they'll read books. And, and, and no matter, let me tell you something, no matter how many weights you lift or how many books you read, you're never going to satisfy the spiritual man that is in you because that is the spirit of God in you that God put there for you to have a hunger and a thirst for him. I need someone to help me say hello. Say hello. In Ecclesiastes 12 and 6, we, we, we are told that as the, as the baby is connected to the mama through the umbilical cord, so are we connected to each other by a silver cord. There's a silver cord in the book of Ecclesiastes 12 that talks about binding and wrapping the body, soul, and spirit together. So you can pursue physical, you can pursue mental, but you'll realize sooner or later that only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only Jesus can bring that completion. Only Jesus can bring that awareness. Only Jesus can bring that satisfaction. You say, are you satisfied where you're at right now? I am. I'm very pleased with where I'm at. There's other places I want to go. There's other things I want to do. There's other accomplishments that I want to be a part of. But right now, I'm happy where I'm at. I'm happy what I'm doing for God, and I'm happy with what I did yesterday. Yesterday, or Friday, rather, I got in the vehicle. I'm headed to uh, Luther Luggett uh, Correctional Facility, Maximum Security Prison in Kentucky, and uh, got just a few miles from a five-and-a-half-hour drive, got just a few miles from Luther Luckett, and on the freeway, the city that I stay in, it was gone. It, it was missing. It wasn't there. I panicked, made some phone calls, and learned that I went to the wrong prison. I wanted to go to Sandy Hook, little Sandy Jean, there by uh, Grayson. And uh, so I was about an hour and a half uh, out of the, out of, went the wrong way. And so turned around and went the right way and encountered snow and ice and all those things that you accomplish. You know, when I was 30, I didn't think anything about driving at night without headlights. <laughs> but now that I'm 65, I rely more on the high beam than I do on the low beam. And the snow was blowing not down, but it was blowing horizontal, and it almost looked like it was like, like third dimension, like I was having a drug flashback, and I haven't had any drugs in 40 years. I'm driving down the road. Then there's ice on the road, there's snow on the road, there's salt on the road. So I make it to my motel. I get up yesterday morning and I head to uh, the prison. And as I head to the prison, I'm, I'm going, it's kind of, kind of windy, kind of loopy. And as I'm coming, the car coming this direction flashes his lights at me. Well, usually that means one of two things, either uh, the popo or the popo's friend. That's usually what that means. So I was already going slow, so Linda, I didn't have to slow down. And I come around the curb, and I don't know if you've ever noticed, but coming, coming home on the shady side of the freeway, it was all ice and snow. And on the sunny side of the freeway, it was all melted. But I came around a curb. It was shady on both sides, and there were two cars in the ditch that they'd hit that ice and slid around that. and got. So I finally got to where I was supposed to go. I actually got there about 9 o'clock Saturday morning. I got to stay and visit and minister in a maximum security prison until about 2 p.m., and then I made my way home and had about five hours to work, to mentally work on my message. I'm happy with what I accomplished yesterday. I'm happy with where I'm at today. I've already got a to-do list for tomorrow. But right now, I am happy where I'm at spiritually, physically. If I'd have known that I was going to live this long, I wouldn't have climbed a tree 15 years ago and broke both my wrists. If I'd have known that I was going to live this long, I wouldn't have got on a four-wheeler 12 years ago and broke my back. If I'd have known that I was going to 
lived this long, I probably would have taken better care of my teeth. I mean, you don't think about any of that when you're out doing your own thing, running, hello, to have a friend in the house. But then all of a sudden you realize there's a good possibility I could live to be 70. You never know. So now, or, or even 100, Pastor Ron, I don't want to live 100 and feel like, you know, all withered up and dry and dead, no energy, no. Uh, but, you know, if, 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 I, if I can stay on top of things, and I don't know if you've noticed, you know, it was so easy at one time in your life to walk in the dark, but now walking in the dark is a chore. I mean, I mean, I feel like the blind guy that has the cane, you know, that he, so, so when, I, when I get up to go to the bathroom, it's like I'm, first of all, it takes me a moment or two just to get to equilibrium. What's that all about? Where did that come from? And then it take, and then you take the step and you falter, and then you bounce into the couch and you roll over and hit the night table, and then you forgot the door's closed and you run into the door and you get the door open and you turn the light on and you do what you, you do what you do, and then that, that journey of turning the light off and headed back. Who would have thought life was going to be this complicated? Who would have thought life was going to be this difficult? I'm telling you right now, young people, enjoy your youth. Use it, wear it, enjoy it all that you can because there's going to come a day when you're going to wake up and realize all you got is a bunch of used parts, used parts, and things are beginning to wear out. In 2 Timothy 1 and 7, it says that God has not given us the spirit, and the Greek word there is intimidation, but the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we know that 2 Timothy, right, 1 and 7, God has not given us but of power and of love and a sound mind. And I want to read that the way that, that, that Paul said it. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but the spirit of power, spiritual power, the spirit of love, spiritual love, and the spirit of a sound mind. The Bible says in Philippians 2 and 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus so we can actually have the mind of Christ. We can think the thoughts of Christ. We can know the words of Christ. We can understand the words of Christ because God has touched us body, soul, and spirit. When you die, let me rephrase that. When you're born, a cord is cut, and that cord separates you from your mother. However, you're never really separated from your mother. Can anybody relate? Mom's always in there. Mom's always a major player. Even though mom's been gone three or four or how many, many years you've lost your mom, mom is always in your life. When your spirit leaves your body, a cord is cut, and you leave that soul and that spirit leaves that body and goes to the presence of God. But even though that cord is cut, you're never really disconnected from your body because the Bible says the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we which are alive and remain or be caught up together in the clouds to meet them in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. There's a day coming when these, these dry bones are going to hear the word of the Lord. He's going to hear Jesus Christ stand up and say, come up, my beloved. A banquet has been prepared for you. And my dust, my flesh, all those cells, everything that's lost is going to regroup, regather. And there's going to be a rapture. And I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord. Lord forever. Do I have a friend in the house today? In first in Second Kings four and thirty-two. You know what? I want to go there real quick. And when Elisha had come into the house, behold, the child was dead. And laid upon his bed. And he went in therefore and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands and stretched himself upon the child. And the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house and to and fro, and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times. And the child opened his eyes, and he called Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. So he called her, and when she was coming to the room, he said, Take up thy son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself 
to the ground. This is an interesting story. This was the accomplishment of the prophetic word that God told Elisha he would have a double portion. And when you count the miracles of Elijah and you count the miracles of Elisha, Elisha did twice as many miracles as Elijah. The Shunammite woman was a special person in his life. She believed in ministry. She believed in him. She supported him. She fed him. She made place for him at her table. God blesses her womb with the child. The child dies. The first thing that he does, he cuts himself off, Dean, from everybody else, goes to where the problem's at, and shuts the door. There's a song that says, there are days I'd like to be all alone with Christ my Lord. I can tell him all my troubles all alone. Sometimes you're telling your troubles to the wrong people. Sometimes you're telling your troubles to people that they can't help you, but they'll wallow there in your, in your hurt, your frustration, and drag you down. Thank God when you surround yourself with people that are like-minded, that speak the word of God and speak life. Shuts the door, and when he touches the child, the child becomes warm. The Bible says, if there's any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. The, effect, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There's something about godly prayer and godly connection. He lays down. He puts his mouth on the mouth of the child. He puts his eyes on the eyes of the child. He puts his hands on top of the hands of the child, and he covers the child. And as he covers the child, all of a sudden the child comes back to life and sneezes seven times. I couldn't find any spiritual, uh, conc anything congruent there that lines up with seven sneezes. I don't know what it means. I do know that the reason we say God bless you is because there's an ancient folklore that tells us that when you sneeze, you can't breathe. And if you can't breathe, that's when the devil can come in and take possession of your soul. How many... You did not know that. You did not know that. So when you say sneeze, they either say type, which means God bless you, or they say God bless you. So the next time someone sneezes, you say God bless you just in case they're so rotten that while they're sneezing, the devil can come in and you want to provide a covering for them. I don't know if seven represents the spiritual completion of God. I don't know. I don't know what that's all about. That's an interesting question. Why did he sneeze seven times? But I know the reason that he laid his hands upon him because the Bible says if there's any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. This morning there was a point of contact made. When that, when that elder touched your hand, there was a connection, the power of agreement, and God begins to answer prayer because of the prayers of the elders. The mouth-to-mouth, -mouth, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3 and 6, all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is inspired by God. And when your mouth is attached to the mouth of God and you begin to speak the Word of God and the truths of God, you're going to see completion come in the things you begin to declare according to the Bible. That was a mouthful, but that's powerful. And then it says that we see eye to eye. There's something about, about seeing God, God seeing you. There's a mighty man of God by the name of Samson. He got snagged by the things of the world, found his head in the lap of an ex-prostitute, and he told that ex-prostitute his secret that he wasn't supposed to share, and she made a deal with the Philistines, said, if you, if you promise not to touch him, I'll tell you his secret. And uh, she found out the secret. She told him the secret, and in their promise not to touch him, they took a red-hot white uh, a rod, and they got it so close to his eyes that he became blind. Next several years of his life, he tread corn in, in, there in the marketplace. And everybody made fun of him and laughed at him and laughed at his God and laughed, laughed at who he, who he once used to be and what he was now. But there was a day coming when his physical eyes did not see, but his spiritual eyes did. He saw something in the spirit. He told the little lad, he said, take me to the pillars that hold up the porches. 
somehow in his knower, he knew something was about to take place, even though he couldn't see it. Let me tell you something. Faith without works is dead. It's easy sometimes to get all caught up in stuff and not be able to see it. And I have people tell me, all that, well, I just don't see it, Pastor. I just don't. Well, you don't have to see it. you got to know it. And if you know it, then eventually your, your eyes are going to come in line with the vision and you're going to walk in God's favor and God's approval. And so as, as he got to the pillars of the temple, the Bible says the power, he said, Lord, let me feel your spirit one more time. Bailey, I don't know. He could have prayed that prayer every day for 50, I don't know. But the, on that one day, he was inspired to say, Lord, let me feel your presence just one more time. And, and Miguel, as the presence of God become a, began to come upon him, he put his arms around those columns and pulled them down and killed more that day than he had in his entire life. I'm here to tell you, your best days are ahead. Your most productive, effective days are ahead. God's not done with you. It's all been a lesson you've learned. you got a diploma. Now it's time to go do and accomplish the things that you've been trained and you have learned to do. Do you have a friend in the house? 1 Corinthians 3 and 4. Let me back up. 1 Corinthians 6 and 9 says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. When I think about where we are and what we become and where we're, tra where we're transmitting to, I think of the three and I think of the egg. I think of the shell of the egg. I think of the yolk of the egg. I think of the white of the egg. When I think of the Trinity, I think of the apple, the skin of the apple, the meat of the apple, the core of the apple. I think of that body, soul, and spirit and when the Bible says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, it simply means it's a container for God to walk around in. Look at your neighbor and say, I am a container for God to walk around in. 2 Corinthians 3 and 16 says that your, your body is not just the temple, but your body is the temple of the Spirit of God. Romans 8 and 11 says the same Spirit that raised Christ from the, the dead dwells in us. How crazy is that? We are a part of the family of God, and we are important in the kingdom of God. Jesus told Peter upon this revelation, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell was a defensive mechanism to keep the, their enemy out. God has given us authority, Mish, to go up the very gate that is trying to hinder us and block us, and we karate kick it, we kung fu kick it, we bust that gate open, and then we go in and take back everything the enemy has stolen from us. You will not steal my health, you'll not steal my wealth, you'll not steal my children, you'll not steal my grandchildren, you'll not steal my promotion, you'll not steal my blessing, you won't steal anything that God has for me because I'm putting you on notice, I'm serving you, you are under arrest, I arrest you, and I command you to give back sevenfold everything that you've stolen from me. That's what happens when you kick the gates of hell down. Amen. And that's what the church is all about. The Bible says in Matthew 18 and 20 that where the two or three gather in his name, there he is in the midst of them. That gathering is the process of the cord. We talked about Isaiah 40 and 31. They that wait, they that bind together with the Lord. When two or three gather in his name and he gathers in his name and that process begins to form, then, we're, then we have the ability not just to wait upon the Lord, but to run and not be weary, walk and not faint, to do great exploits in the kingdom of God because that's what happens when the body is walking in unity. Something happens corporately when we gather together and begin to worship. Something about a monsoon. How many has ever been caught in a monsoon? A bad rain. How many, a bad rain. How many got soaked? How many of the person next to you got soaked? How many knows when it rains, it rains on everybody? How many knows when one person touches God in this house and the windows of heaven begin to open because of the clouds of praise that we're building, when the windows of heaven begin to open, rain begins to fall, the miraculous becomes the norm. Hello? The miraculous becomes the norm. 
you go with expectancy. I came here one way, but I'm going to leave another. If I came feeble, I'm going to come strong. If I came sick, I'm going to come whole. If I came poor, I'm going to, I'm going to leave blessed. Something's going to happen today because I'm gathering together with the body of Christ and we're going to lift up praise and worship and we're going to hear the word and we're going to touch the things of God. Amen. That's an expectation. Something's going to happen when I go into the house of the Lord. Hebrews 10 and 25 says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, especially in the last days. On Facebook, I think two or three times this week, there are different ones, and I have about um, 4,800 friends. I don't know they're all friends, but there are about 300 of those that I minister to on Facebook, and uh, I've been watching some different posts, and I notice right now it's a big deal to post about your grandchildren. And I have a couple of uh, friends that they're raising their grandchildren, parents for whatever reason, drugs or alcohol or whatever. For some reason, the kids have been passed off on grandma and grandpa, and they're fine with that. Grandparents are fine with that. And, uh, but I, I private messaged them, and I said, your babies need to be in Sunday school. Right now, our babies are learning about Jonah and the well. Our babies are learning about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did you know I was on a corporate jet, Lowe's corporate jet, flying to a funeral, and there was exec there on the jet. She had never heard the story of David and Goliath, 35 years old, had never, had never gone to church, had never knew nothing about the Bible. When we brought that child to the altar, we said, we'll do whatever it takes to raise this kid in the house of God. We'll be here. We'll have him in Sunday school. We'll have him in church. We'll let him learn the things of God. But let me tell you something. If you don't bring them to the house of God and let them learn, the odds are you're not going to take an hour in the week next week and sit down and share with them a Bible study. That's just the odds. And so it's important to have your kids in the things of, in the things of God in the house of God. There are people who say, well, I'm too busy. Well, I bought this business. Well, I'm remodeling this home. Well, I'm just trying to pay the bills. I want to be very, very careful what I say right now. But the door, let me rephrase that. Both my daughters never applied for a job that took them away from church. My girls have loved church. I remember sometimes we had to threaten Courtney to take her home. She'd rather stay here and hang out with the kids and go home. And... Our kids grew up with a love and a, a hunger. Both of them, before the age of five, made a commitment to Christ. And both of them, I think, before the age of nine, were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were all, they've always been here. And again, let me be very careful what I have to say. But in reflection yesterday, God reminded me of three families. That we all grew up together. We all went to church together. We all did the things of God together. But when their kids got to a place where they wanted a part-time job or they wanted this or they wanted that, they allowed their kids to miss Sunday, miss Wednesday. Without exception, there were seven kids representing three families. All seven of those kids are not serving God. And I told Pastor Ron, I said, I don't, I don't want to draw conclusions if, if, I'm, if that's not a conclusion I'm supposed to draw. But here's what I believe. If you train up a child, and the way he or she should go, they will not depart. They may wander. They may pause. Well, I'm 18. I'm going to go sow some wild oats. You know, they don't say, well, I'm 18. I'm going to con contract some kind of sexual disease. Well, I'm 18. I'm going to get bound on cocaine. Well, I'm 18. I'm, I'm going to get involved in problems. They don't, they don't say that, do they? I'm out of here, baby. I'm 18. I know it all. And I don't know what happened between 17, 11 months, and 29 days, and all of a sudden they're 18, and they have arrived. They, they know it all. They know more than you. And every, it's all about me too. You owe me anything that I can get for free, anything that I – and I'm, I'm trying not to involve politics, but we're talking about free health care and free medical and free college and free this and free that. There's nothing free under the sun. 
somebody probably, if you make $100,000 or less, you're going to pay for that education. You're going to pay for to educate that idiot that have the sense enough to come in out of the rain. Hello, am I talking to anybody today? There's nothing free. It costs. Everything in life costs. But we have a generation that it's all about them. I mean, they get offended. They get this. They get that. Uh, Alden was sharing with me on the way to church of, of some business act that signed a non-disclosure and got $20 million. It just seems like that everything is about, I can accuse you of doing something, and rather than deal with it, you pay me off. It's a crazy world that we live in. I don't know how I missed that, but I don't believe if you raise your kids in church, they're not going to go try and fraud and cheat everybody. I believe they're going to learn things that will keep them all the way through life and will help them with their future and focus on the promises and the destiny that God has placed in them. That's kind of weak, but that's okay. There's something happens when God's people come and do what they're supposed to do. The Bible says when you come in Psalms, bring a song. It says that when you come, bring a testimony. Proverbs 3 and 9, 10 says, honor the Lord with your wealth. So, well, Pastor, if I had some wealth, I'd honor the Lord. The way to get wealth is to give. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And when God can trust you, and I told you this story, and it's 12 noon. Can I have three minutes? I told you the story of the revival that I preached in Rome, Georgia, and uh, several, there were one, two, three, there were three or four businessmen that got saved in that revival, and uh, God did a great work, and there was a, I went and preached a revival in Calhoun, and uh, one of the pastors that I had preached for came and visited, and I said, how's so-and-so doing? I said, well, they're doing pretty good. I'm trying to encourage them, trying to bless them, and uh, they're, they're, they're coming, and they're, you know, they're, they're a part, but they don't understand tithing. They're not seeing tithing. Well, I, I was an evangelist that knew it all, and I said, well, let me, let me go visit them. So I went to visit them, and this business, I'll be careful, it's now three businesses. They're retired now. This business uh, was, was making about $1,000 a week. That was the profit. A lot of costs, a lot of employees, a lot of stuff going on uh, in a fast food place. And uh, when this family gave their heart to God, uh, the man that came was an ex-Long Beach helicopter pilot for the, the, the police department. I was born and raised about five miles from Long Beach. We had something in common. He came to hear me. It was the second time he'd been in church since his wedding. He was in church for his wedding, and then he came to church. And that was, uh, so the kids were 14, 15. He's been in church for 15 years. They gave their heart to the Lord, gloriously saved. And so I went to visit them. I said, what's going on? He said, well, he said, you're not going to believe this. Our business has went for a th from $1,000 a week to $1,000 a day. I said, man, that's incredible. I said, that's that's all the power of the power of tithing. You were tithing on a thousand, now you're making five thousand. And he looked at me real funny. He said, "Well, he said, here's the problem." He said, "I could tithe on a thousand. He said, "But I can't, I can't, I can't tithe on five thousand." I said, "Well, let me tell you what I'm going to pray. For you to be in obedience to God, I'm going to pray you go back to making a thousand a week." He said, oh no, 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 don't do that. And he started tithing, and that was thirty-four years ago. They now own three fests. They own a chain, and their grandchildren are actually now working for them, preparing to own the business. There's something about honoring the Lord with your wealth. But to honor the Lord with your wealth, you can't be a scaredy cat. Do you know what that word is? You can't be a chicken. You can't be afraid to give and feel the gift leave. And when you feel the gift leave and you're obedient to the Lord, then you sit back and say, Glad that's over. I remember when I was on the road, I would call Ron and I would say, I would say, honey, I said, we're probably going to have to do Taco Bell this week. Uh, we probably are not going to do Long John's. And we're not going to do Longhorn. We're not going to do uh, Outback. Uh, I got excited, took up an offering for the church, and then I put money in the church. And, and she said, that's okay. We can, we can survive on Taco Bell. But I look now and see all those seeds and what goes around comes around. 
And when you sow, when you barely have it to sow, God will give you the ability to write a significant amount to the things of God. Wouldn't it be nice to take a pen and paper, a pen and a checkbook, and write a check out $1,000 to your church, your ministry, or whatever you, whatever you believe? Wouldn't that be nice? Be faithful over the little. Let God make you ruler over the big. When you come to church and, and two or three agree, the corporate praise, the corporate worship, God ministers the body, soul, and spirit. I remember when I talk about love, I talk about Zoe, and I talk about the supernatural agape love of God. If you'll help me, um, awesome with some, some music. I heard a story several years ago in Detroit, Michigan. A, uh, a wealthy businessman was leaving his neighborhood headed to work, and when he pulled out of, the, out of the track, he looked over on the sidewalk, and there he saw a little boy, 12, 13 years of age, and the boy had a, a stack of newspapers. And Christine, he was, st- he was standing on the corner, and he was selling these papers to the, the traffic. And he pulled up, and he looked, the little boy didn't have, a, didn't have a, a coat, didn't have a shawl, didn't have gloves. Holes in his knees, holes in his shoes, could tell shoes were all beat up. So something touched his heart. Stopped the car, rolled down the window, called the boy over. And he said, son, here, I want to buy all your newspapers. He gave him the money for all the papers. He said, no, son, I want you, I want you to go to that house right there on the corner. I want you to knock on the door. And when someone comes to the door, I just want you to say, John 3, 16. He told the boy, go home and sit by the fire. Go home, get yourself warm. The little boy said, Lenny said, he said, I don't have a home. My parents were killed in a car wreck when I was just a baby, and I've been passed from one, one, one relative to another, one orphanage to another. I'm on my own. I'm living on the streets. I'm on my own. It'd be scary if I told you how many homeless there are in Los Angeles, California. Is it knock on that door? And when someone opens the door, I just want to say three, three things. John 3.16. So they gave the man his papers, put his money in his pocket. First time he'd ever sold all of his papers, Linda. First time. He goes down this beautiful paper driveway, opens up this beautiful wrought iron gate, walks up to a gorgeous pair of oak doors, beautiful stained glass inserts, and very timidly, he does the knocker and he knocks on the door. It's opened by a kindly looking woman that looks down and sees him and says, son, what can I do for you? And he said, John 3.16. She said, son, come on in out of the cold. It's too cold out there. Come inside, make yourself warm. She led him over to the fireplace and the fire was roaring. She said, get yourself warm. I'll be back in a minute. So he gets as close as he can, Melissa, that fire, and he begins to turn around and begins to get himself warm and realize this is the first time I've been warm all winter. She comes back in the room and says, hey, come in the kitchen. I got something for you. So she went the, he went in the kitchen, and there on the table was this big old bowl of soup, a stack of crackers, and a glass of milk. She said, son, eat all you want. There's plenty more on the stove. He didn't eat one bowl, not two bowls. He ate three bowls of that soup. And she said, if you're done eating, come upstairs. I'm going to show you something. So Kristen, he followed around this beautiful spiral staircase, beautiful wood banisters, nice paintings on the wall going up. And she led him to this master bathroom. And there was this big old tub full of hot, soapy water, bubbles everywhere. She said, son, I want you to enjoy the bath. Stay as long as you want. And there, if you'll notice, with some clean clothes, try them on. He got in that tub. He began to play with those bubbles, stayed in so long his fingers started crinkling. You know how you get when you get the water too long. Gets out, dries himself off, tries the clothes on. They're like a perfect fit. He walks out of the bathroom. He said, he said, come here, I got something for you. Takes his beautiful bedroom, beautiful bed, the, the quilt turned back, the pillow. And she says, son, this is your bed tonight. She said, matter of fact, you know the guy that bought your papers? He said, this is your bed. 
for as long as you want. We want you to come and live with us. Good night. I'll see you in the morning. Janice, she realized that she forgot to turn the light off, so she tiptoes back into the room to turn the light off, and the little boy was kneeling side of his bed. Hands were folded, and he was praying. She probably shouldn't have listened, but she did. And she's heard him say, God, I don't know what 316 is. I never went to church, never went to Sunday school, never read the Bible. But God, I do know this. John 316 sold all my newspapers. John 316 got me in out of the cold by a fire. John 316 got me a tummy full of food, a clean bath. And now look, God, a bedroom, my very own. God, I don't know what John 3.16 says, but I didn't think it would be right if I went to bed without thanking you for John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Can we pray? I thank you for this house. I thank you for the potential in this house. I thank you for every child, every teenager, every mom, every grandma. You have brought us together to fit together, to be effective, to be whole, to be awesome. You've challenged us to visit the prisons. You've challenged us to clothe the, the naked and feed the hungry, to minister to widows and orphans. That's the challenge. You've challenged us to read your word, to draw closer to you, to speak your word, to see things, to, to surround ourselves with healthy voices. You've given us a list of things to do. And it's not overwhelming. It's not frustrating. But it's decisions that will help us grow. Decisions that will help us more effective. Father, I pray the entrepreneur spirit in this house. I pray that you would raise up businessmen and businesswomen that would have dreams beyond their abilities, God dreams, God ideas, birth businesses, birth corporations. God, I pray the spirit of philanthropy upon this house, that there would be those that would be blessed with such an ability financially that they could build churches, and they could build libraries, and they could donate money to schools, and they could make a significant difference in the society that we live in. But God, most of all, I pray that you touch every heart and let them know we are not alone. That we have brothers, that we have sisters, we have corporate prayer, corporate praise, corporate worship, that we belong to something. We're not loners. We're a part of the team. We're a part of this fellowship. Help us find our place. Help us find our destiny. Help us find our worth. Let us not allow the past to hinder or disqualify. Let us, let us not allow where we're at right now to keep us from pressing forward, to moving ahead, to seeing what your word says about our future, seeing what your word says about our family, see what your word says about our finances, and push forward the things that we learn and the things that we know. Let us be your hands. Let us get our grip back. Let us be your feet. Give us the ability to dance and celebrate. Let us be what you want us, where you want us, when you want us, who you want us. In Jesus' name we pray. And y'all said, amen. I hope you.